episode 203, Some Radical Common Sense About Listening to Patients. Today, I speak with Greg McCool, founder and CEO at Patient Wisdom. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Do we, as the healthcare industry, typically know what matters to our patients and how their lives affect their health and their health affects their lives? If we do, then three good things happen. Patients feel better and their outcomes are better. Provider experience goes up and health organizations do better, meaning readmits go down and margins go up. Listening to patients makes radical common sense, as Greg McCool from Patient Wisdom puts it. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Greg. Thanks, Stacey. Happy to be here with you. Hospitals are experiencing very thin margins. How does patient experience counteract that, or does it? Oh, it's a big question. How long is this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) I'm famous for these. (laughs) Take it where you will, Greg. Oh, yes. Well, I think that it really all comes down to the patient experience, but I want to differentiate between the patient experience and patient satisfaction. We were talking about much more than was somebody happy with either the care or the amenities of care. We're talking about the soup to nuts, beginning to end experience of getting from where somebody lives to the place to get care if they have to leave at all. Sometimes it can be virtual these days. And then through the whole process and really taking the point of view of the patient instead of the point of view of the provider or the organization. I think the you know, the way that I think about it, and I guess because I come from the kind of the communication frame, is a lot of the patient experience has to do with communication. And we know that if we can improve communication in healthcare, we can generate very tangible benefits. And I, I think of them in sort of three categories. The first is patients and families feel better. So you, you have a, a better patient experience, but also there's good data to show improved health outcomes. The second category, I would say, is that clinical encounters work better, better provider experience, and also you see better adherence to treatment plans with more effective communication. And I'll just make a note about better provider experience. In this day and age where burnout is one of the big problems to solve in healthcare, if providers feel like things are going better with their patients, that is a gigantic lever for helping them feel better throughout their day. <laughs> and, and, and this is why I went into medicine. This is what I'm, you know, why I do what I do. I think that that's something that we can't lose sight of. And then the third category is that health organizations do better. And, you know, that runs the gamut. And again, there's good research on this from reducing readmissions, gaining loyalty and competitive advantage, better reimbursement, better margins, fewer malpractice claims. So really, you know, if we have better communication in healthcare, we do see patients and families feel better, clinical encounters work better, health organizations do better. This seems like 
an arduous task. And I know that, you know, the average healthcare provider, one of the first things that you said was about, you know, provider satisfaction. And as sad as it is true <laughs> that the average provider has seven to 12 minutes with a patient, how and, you know, and healthcare is very transactional these days. So this might be the first time that this patient happened to see this particular provider. I mean, they're shaking hands at the onset or the outset of the of the conversation. What's important that the provider understands to effectively achieve these outcomes? What kind of information here? Is there categories of really important things or, or how do you sort of define that? Well, I think there are categories of really important things, and I think there are very efficient ways to get at them. In fact, that's why we built patient wisdom to do what it does, and you know, we'll talk about that later. But the sorts of things that are important to understand are the patient's goals, the patient's agenda, what do they want to accomplish during that encounter, what gets in the patient's way. And also their sense of how their health affects their lives. So this is not necessarily a gigantic fact-finding mission that's going to take hours to, to do. In fact, it's not, not just not necessarily, it's not at all that. I have been very focused throughout 30 years in healthcare in making sure that we can work on effective communication in provider-patient encounters that works within the amount of time that people have. And we are very cognizant of the fact that providers are running harder than ever. They have, a, as you pointed out, a short time with their patient. And you know the fact that more than half of providers are reporting at least one symptom of burnout is something we have to pay very, very close attention to. So they need a very quick, reliable way to learn about the whole patient, and it's got to fit in their workflow. There have been a number of different interventions, if you will, to move toward that kind of thing. It could be training for effective and efficient communication in the encounter, or it could be a digital tool like the one that we've built. There has been an often cited statistic, for example, that 22% of diagnoses are wrong or sort of fail to materialize. And I can easily track the cause back to not enough time. Because if the, the patient probably knows all of the symptoms, it's just they don't know the three that are important. So I think it would take a kind of a, a skilled and very patient physician to kind of weed through all of the things that might be irrelevant to the physician, but the patient doesn't know one from the other. So like... Is part of how you think about listening and, you know, you just had mentioned training about effective communication, but is, is there any big sort of takeaways there to help rapidly drill down or even with a workflow? Is there advice that you can give to a health system to even begin conceiving of how do you address what could be the underlying cause of a very pervasive issue? You're talking about a relatively specific problem, which is diagnosing a health issue. And I think that that's, I mean, there are, there are lots of ways to take a look at how to do a better job of diagnosis and, and helping frame, you know, what the problem might be and the sorts of things to ask around that and listen for around that. But I'm thinking about this much more broadly in the sense of, thinking about how do we find out not what's the matter with the patient, 
but what matters to the patient, right? And, you know, other people have used those words. I think that it's catching, catching on, um, if you will. <laughs> and I think that's a great thing. If we're focusing on what matters to the patient, right? So what are the health problems that they see as most important, not just that their clinical team sees as most important. And oftentimes, you know, just thinking about it in terms of goals, oftentimes the team's sense of the goals of care are different, very different from the patient's sense of the goals of care until the team knows what the patient's goals are. So this is the sort of thing that we're really focusing on is how do we help the teams very efficiently and super effectively get their heads around what matters to the patients so they can do a better job without taking longer. Say the patient has diabetes or COPD or how does what you are saying intersect with those kinds of chronic conditions? Yeah, I mean, it happens all the time in all kinds of of illness contexts. So you think about somebody with congestive heart failure or COPD, and from the team's point of view, that is the big health problem. That is number one. From the patient's point of view, it could be that their knee really hurts them when they walk, and it's getting more and more difficult to do what they want to do or even just to get up and go across the room not because of a compromise to their heart or lungs, but because their knee is killing them. That sort of thing is really important for the team to know because the patients there thinking, if they're not going to help me with my knee pain, (laughs) I can't even think about this other stuff, right? Again, this kind of comes back to what's important to that patient, what matters to that patient. The goal isn't to, it's not either or, right? It's coming to a meeting of the minds, again, kind of a meeting between the experts. You have said at one juncture, Greg, that healthcare is transactional. How do you mean that? Well, I think this is just sort of symptomatic of the, you know, the the day and age we're in right now in the sense of providers are feeling like I'm, and I'm, I don't want to overstate this, many, perhaps most providers are feeling like they are just churning through patients and focusing on documentation instead of focusing on the patient. And that is a big source of dissatisfaction. And I think it is, as we discussed earlier, a source of burnout for providers. I think that, you know, the same logic extends to to patients when they are feeling like their doctor or other member of the care team's not really paying attention to them. They're, as a person, they're paying attention to the problem and kind of it's getting them in and out and then on to the next patient. And that's not a, you know, it's not a source of any goodness for either the patient or the, or the provider. What folks are looking for is a little bit of human connection, a little bit of a healing relationship as they go through the care process. And whether that's a primary care visit for a routine, you know, non-chronic problem for a chronic illness or for an acute problem or a, you know, a very serious uh, illness, it's totally relevant. This, this feeling that people need to have a way to get beyond the transaction and into more of a healing relationship. 
patient comes in, doctor says, oh, your COPD looks like it's getting worse. I'm going to raise your dosage. Bye. Yeah, that's pretty stark. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, the idea of feeling like a number instead of feeling like a person is something that, you know, we hear over and over. That's not good for, again, for patients or providers or for health organizations. And again, it means going way beyond slogans, right? It's It comes down to, you know, to behavior and to, you know, make it easy to do the right thing instead of making it hard to do the right thing. So I definitely want to get into the surprising things that you have learned when you have actually listened to patients, like what took you by surprise. But I think before we go there, it probably would be a good idea to talk a little bit about patient wisdom and how you've solved the issue of, you know, the conundrum. If you've got seven to 12 minutes with a patient, how do you actually listen and complete the essentials bureaucratically for the visit? What we do is we work with health systems or large practice groups. And if a patient has a scheduled appointment, say, the patient is invited to go to patient wisdom and share what we call stories about themselves, their health, and their care. This does not feel at all like doing another survey, right? This is getting at prompts for, you know, what they want their care team to know about them as a person, what makes them happy, what pressures they're up against, social determinants of health, their goals, their barriers, you know, that sort of thing. And I want to go back to something I just mentioned because some of your listeners may be wanting to rewind and say, did he just say you ask what makes them happy? And yes, I did. <laughs> so, so, and it, it's interesting in our user testing to a person, patients have told us, no one in healthcare has ever asked what makes me happy ever. Well, we don't do it just to be cool and different. We do it because in research that we did when I was at Northwestern, we found that in initial doctor-patient encounters where the doctor and patient have never seen each other before, if the doctor made a personal connection, patient rated that doctor as knowing markedly better. And if you think your doctor knows you better, all sorts of good things happen in terms of trust and truth-telling and adherence and, yes, even scores. So, we are making sure to get that information to make it easy to make a personal connection. And those opportunities are always there during everyday clinical practice. Every single clinical encounter, there's an opportunity to make a personal connection to just go beyond the medical issue at hand. But when people are really busy and they are, they need just a little cue to remind them, hey, here's something that would help you be a, have a little bit more of an immediate relationship with that patient. I can certainly see how it would accomplish potentially very immediate returns. If somebody said, if the question is, what makes you happy? And you said, oh, my grandchildren, then what that does is it enables, you know, it kind of also says what matters to the patient. And if you're dealing with a chronic condition or whatnot, and then the, the doctor or nurse is able to say, you know, what would you like to be able to do with your grandchildren that you currently can't or something like it's a really good yeah. way to, to figure out what the patient's view of their outcome should be. Exactly. So, I want to be clear that there, the, the focus here is on, again, finding out what matters to the patients as people and boiling the information down 
So the care team knows a little bit about that patient, again, as a person, knows what's important to him or her, and then knows where the patient is on different kind of style and preference meters, like their orientation towards shared decision-making or their preference for natural or medical treatments, or if they're open to a combination, that sort of thing. So really critical information to have, but it's really coming at it from the patient's point of view. And if we think about time and timing, you know, as we were talking earlier, this is something the patient's doing before they show up. And then what we've done is built a way to integrate this one screen view that we are creating by extracting information from what the patient's telling us. This one screen view we call an insight summary. We've integrated into the electronic health record. So any member of the care team who has access to that patient's record can pull up the insight summary. It takes 15 seconds to look at it before they walk into the exam room or the hospital room. And they go in, they do a better job, and they save time. And we are seeing very good results up to now, where not only are providers confirming that it takes around 15 seconds to, to review the insight summary, but they're saying that they're learning something about the patient that is changing care. Uh, and I'll say a little bit more about that in a moment. 90% of patients have reported that patient wisdom improves communication with the providers that use it. 95% are rating their visits as going extremely well compared to a baseline of around 81%, which is really an enormous jump in the patient experience world. Um, and we found at uh, one of our uh, health system partners, a 10.7% reduction in new patient no-show rates kind of linked to the engagement. I think the results are bearing out what we had hoped in the sense that if we can make it easy for patients to share what they see as important and then give providers a very quick, reliable way to learn about the whole patient in their workflow, it makes a difference. And it makes a difference for both of them. Real quick, and then I have another question for you. How many patients have, how many patient encounters maybe has patient wisdom run thus far? We have about 9,000 patients in patient wisdom up to now. Okay. So, and then each, each one of those patients has a number of encounters. In, indeed. Okay. Yes. I'm fascinated by how you're boiling down or distilling a patient's story, as you put it, into these insights. So, you know, the question is, what makes me happy? And I write down list of long form text, I'm assuming. It's not a pick list. It's like I'm typing. Yes. So what do you do with that information? And how does that come out in terms of quantitative measures or some of what I've written picked up? Or like, how, sure. how does that how does that go down? A couple different ways. So if we take that as an example, patients are typing in or they can, you know, kind of talk to their phone or their tablet and turn it into text. And they'll, you know, they'll say things like my my grandchildren or, you know, hiking or, or skiing or whatever. Within the insight summary, what we show to members of the care team is what the patient said. And I want to be clear, we are queuing patients for how much we want them to share with us by how big the box is in terms <laughs> of what, they, you know, what they're filling in. So it's a very powerful visual cue. And patients tend to color within the lines, if you will, of, of that. If somebody went on and on and on, what we display is truncated and we show the, the provider that 
you know, they can click on more to see more if they if they wish. Do you have humans that are going in and doing that summarizing or is that AI or something? No, no, no. That's, that is literally what the whatever the patient said is oh, what I we're see. showing. So, but that's at the end of one level. So, the way I think about what we're doing is we're working really hard to improve people's health and the way that we deliver healthcare by listening to patients both individually and at scale. And what I just told you is kind of the individual N of one level, right? Mm -hmm. We want to improve every clinical encounter by porting information into the insight summary and only making it take 15 seconds to, to review this before going in to see the patient. Now, we also have a population level or that kind of at scale level um, where we're taking what patients are telling us, whether that's about their joys or their pressures or their goals or how their health affects their lives or anything. And we are running content analysis on that and distilling the information down into themes and sub-themes and when it's relevant, sentiment with the ability to drill down. The idea there is we can help organizations learn and improve by paying attention to what patients are saying overall and making sure that the leadership can get a, a very clear, intuitive visualization into what seems to be kind of the hot topics or the, you know, just sort of the way that things are shaping up. And I'll just give you a, one example. We ask about advanced directives, and it's about 30% of patients, it's the biggest category, are saying that they don't have an advanced directive, but they're ready to talk about one. We are now working to jumpstart that conversation. And that helps, obviously, the patient. It helps the care team. And then it also is a direct reimbursement to the provider who has that conversation. You know, that is really a critical piece of the puzzle to be able to know what is important to the patients and get it over to the provider side so they can take action. I want to just circle back to something that we didn't drill into to my satisfaction, Greg. Mm -hmm. And that is how you're turning things that the patient is saying potentially long form, or, or maybe I misinterpreted it, into quant. So yeah. Yeah. how are you doing that? Yeah. I'm going to just drill down into that a little bit. We have tried a number of different natural language processing engines and we have found that they are excellent in terms of finding words and counting words, even if they're misspelled, but they're not so great at assigning meaning to what patients are saying. So we've developed essentially a tech-enabled human content analysis system where we've built something, uh, we call it the Themeinator, and it's something that helps us take a patient's full response break it down into thought units. So we unitize what they're telling us. And then we assign themes and sub-themes and when it's relevant sentiment to each one of those thought units. That's what helps us uh, deliver very intuitive, actionable insights to the leadership. So we can say, for instance, hey, uh, we're looking at how people say their health affects their lives. There are a bunch of things that we're finding that, oh, we didn't know that. For instance, I'll just give you a couple examples here. Primary care physicians tend to have longstanding relationships with their patients. But we had a primary care physician come out of an exam room just really happy. One of our, our first uh, physicians to use patient was really happy after seeing a patient and said, saying, I learned something new about my patient from patient wisdom. 
And we happened to have one of our people in the office that day. And she said, what? The doctor said, I've been taking care of her for 13 years and I didn't know she doesn't like to be called by her first name. So if you think about having a healing relationship with someone, knowing who they are and how they like to be addressed seems like the minimum daily requirement of doing <laughs> that. So that may seem really mundane, but it's very fundamental. I'm still not understanding. You have the Themanator. And what you do is vis-a-vis that digital tool, that human, digital-enabled human tool, it helps your team of humans score patients based on a set of metrics that you have identified. Not quite. What we're doing is when I say we're running content analysis on what they're telling us, we are not scoring a patient on a certain scale. We are boiling down, distilling what they're telling us into themes and sub-themes and when it's relevant sentiment. So, you know, if a patient is talking about, you know, let's say improving their ideas for improving care, right? They may say, something about, I would like it if they really listened to me. And this happens, listen, really listen, right? Mm -hmm. So the theme would be interpersonal and the sub-theme would be listening. And then the folks could drill down to see the individual comments. Got it. So, you know, I'm kind of picturing the patient wisdom screen and I'm seeing, and this might not be it exactly visually, but I'm seeing just kind of like boxes where you put certain categories of information. So somebody's kind of looking at the long form stream of consciousness that the patient may have compiled and plucking out of it and organizing all that information so that it is, as you said, at a glance. Yeah. So there are two different views. One is the N of one view that we give to every member of the care team. That's the insight summary. It's never bigger than one screen. It's got essentially who that patient is, the things that are important to the patient, what makes them happy, which is the direct line to a personal connection, their health priorities and goals, their agenda, their biggest barriers to staying healthy, the biggest pressure or worry, and how their health affects their lives. And then there's a panel on that same screen that has how they rate their health and why, their preference for natural or medical treatments, their orientation towards shared decision-making, any social determinant challenges they may have, where they are with advanced directives, and who helps them with decisions. So that stuff is all extracted out of what patients are telling us and turned into visualizations when it makes sense or, or delivered verbatim when it makes sense. But the information is accessible through the electronic health record. Again, that's for every member of the care team. What we were talking about in terms of distilling information down into themes and sub-themes and sentiment is relevant for the leadership in the organization. So they can see things in aggregate, kind of at the population view, really looking across patients, across visits, across locations, and saying, what are we learning? from our patients in, in terms of challenges that they may be facing. If you think about social determinant challenges, and this is a good example of you know, really listening to what patients are, are telling us. So we had the classic social determinants listed with just check boxes and they could list, you know, check off as many as applied. And then we used to have other, and if they clicked on other, they could do a write-in vote. And the write-in votes that we kept seeing had to do with time and bandwidth or motivation and support. 
So we saw those over and over and over again. So we literally turned those into two additional checkboxes, right? So they were there for patients to see along with the more classic social determinants like affordability to afford healthcare or get to an appointment, uh, et cetera. And it turns out that time and motivation are two of the top three social determinant challenges or what we've categorized as challenges that we're seeing from our patients. By us listening to our patients, we've improved their ability to help the care teams understand what they're up against. And also the organization can see, oh my gosh, this is, you know, this is something that people are talking about over and over again. We should develop some program perhaps to look at how could we help people with motivation? How could we help people in terms of time? And is that something we need to be doing at the end of one level? Could we do it more programmatically? But it just gets the conversation started. And I'm sure the, those two learnings are not something which is limited to that particular health system. So oh, listeners, that's absolutely right. listeners take note of that insight. Yep. What are some surprising learnings from providers? Because you do have a provider insight solution as well. So, you know, what's something that maybe there's obviously the usual suspects, but, but what's something that maybe you didn't anticipate learning about providers? I'll give you an example of one of the things we're seeing with provider wisdom. The very first group that we rolled it out with at one of our health system partners, we were asking about balance and burnout. And we took a different approach. We didn't tell them what burnout is. We asked them what they think burnout is. And then based on their own definition, they put themselves on a standard scale and then put their colleagues on a standard scale, and I mean their colleagues as a group. And what we found is that people didn't say they were just exactly perfect, but they <laughs> they rated their burnout ranging from, you know, not so much to a little bit. But when they rated their colleagues, they rated their colleagues' burnout as much worse. Now, that can't be true if everybody's doing that, right? So, um, <laughs> What was great is we had built into provider wisdom kind of a we hear you function where the organization could say, hey, this is a really important insight and it's something we really should talk about. And they had displayed the kind of the two graphs of how people rated their own burnout and how they rated their colleagues burnout and said, you know, there's a mismatch here. Let's talk about it. Let's talk as a group about what we can do to restore balance and and reduce burnout. You know, those sort of insights are, I just think, really important in terms of helping the providers understand we're not just making you do another survey. We're paying attention to what you're saying. And, you know, there's some really important stuff here that we need to dig into. Yeah, that's fascinating. I don't think we necessarily have time to dig into it, but I would love to hear the end of that story. You know, like why why people are ranking themselves kind of low, but thinking their peers are sort of high, whether it's, but I can handle it, tough-like, or whether there's some deeper psychology at play. Yeah, I think there are lots of reasons. <laughs> that's a whole other story. All right. We'll talk about it later. And same thing with communities. Is there anything surprising that came out of community wisdom? that bears mention. We are finding out what matters to people who live in the community, whether or not they're active patients, whether or not they're even patients of the organization we're working with. And the goal there is to, again, boil that information down, distill it, 
So the organization can either develop or partner with programs that people would actually use. And the, the first time we did it, one of the our health system partners uh, ended up redirecting a very sizable chunk of money from one of their own facilities into the YMCA because they listened to what patients said in terms of where they would go. They paid attention and they took action. That was OSF Healthcare in Central Illinois. Yeah, and I, I just heard another similar example of it was actually a college health center, and they were bemoaning that none of the students were getting vaccinated. So someone listened, and they just set up a room in the library, <laughs> and yep. they were doing vaccinations in the library and doubled their vaccination rate. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point, and 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 I think you know, Stacy, I I think about this as radical common sense, right? I bet we could do better in terms of improving people's health and the way we deliver healthcare if we listen to the people involved because they're telling us what they need. Where can people go for more information about patient wisdom, provider wisdom, and or community wisdom? They could go to our website. It's patientwisdom.com. I thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Greg. Thank you, Stacy. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week, the episode is automatically sent to you, so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.